Hey, what's up, everybody? Justin Ochoa back again with episode 24 of the Gym Sessions podcast. Today we have on my good friend, Bobby White. Bobby is the owner of High Power Performance in New Jersey. He's also the author and creator of the Good Drill program. If you don't know about Good Drills, you've got to listen to this episode because it's one of the most effective and popular online basketball training programs in the world. He's getting great results with his athletes all over the globe. And uh, I could not be more happy for him, more proud of him for putting out such a great program. This podcast, we obviously talk about that program, but we talk about skill acquisition, constraints-led approach to training. We talk about communication, coaching, relationship building. We talk about business. We talk about Bobby's background as an athlete and a coach and how um, his unique background and his journey helped him find success and create what he's doing today. So all in all, it's a great episode. I enjoyed catching up with Bobby. I think you guys will get a lot of value out of this, no matter what you are in the basketball community, whether you're an athlete, coach, uh, a trainer, uh, or just a fan. I know that you're going to find a lot of value in all the things that Bobby shares and all the perspective that Bobby brings to this episode. So strap in. This is about an hour long. It's a great episode. I hope you guys enjoy it. Bobby White, welcome to the show, my man. Thanks for joining me. Happy to be here. How's it going? Oh, it's going great, man. We just uh, spent a good little amount of time catching up. It was always great to catch up with you, but I'm excited. This podcast has been kind of, you know, in the works for a while, Uh-oh. and I'm glad we can make it happen. Already freezing. You froze. Oh, <laughs> Wait, it's the podcast. Fuck. We're already freezing. <laughs> we're, we're going. We're going. <laughs> we're going to keep that. <laughs> Screw it. We just we talked yeah, for thirty good. minutes with zero issues, and then as soon as I hit record, something weird happens. Yeah. Yeah, it's like trying to scale a gym business. Yeah, that's that's <laughs> that's how it always goes down, man. Well. Um, I, I don't know if you heard what I said, but I said I appreciate you jumping on here with me. So I want to let you jump in and kind of give the background on who you are, what you do, and all that good stuff. Uh, my name is Bobby White. I uh, run a facility in uh, New Jersey. Uh, we cover both basketball skill development as well as the SNC side of things. So we got a one-stop shop where you can come in, get stronger, faster, jump higher, and uh, become a bucket on the court. And uh, been doing that for about, I uh, started my own business probably eight years ago. But prior to that, I was working for some uh, pretty sophisticated trainers. Uh, I had, I ended up working for the trainers who trained me throughout high school, college and playing pro ball. Um, they had a lot of, you know, professional ties and things like that. So I was able to come in, go through all the internship processes, uh, get all the certifications, do all the things and really come up some uh, through underneath some pretty impressive uh, trainers. So that kind of sped things up. and. You know, I got to the level working around guys that I looked up to throughout high school through playing. And I'm, you know, in the gym shoulder to shoulder with my heroes. And uh, about a year into that, the my, my mentor, Eric, sat us all down. He had seven full-time trainers and uh, said, I don't want to run a gym anymore. I'm a trainer at heart. You know, uh, he, he, he spent nine seasons with the New York Giants doing a lot for them. And he wanted to go just be a trainer and he didn't want to deal with the overhead and, you know, the problems of running a gym. Everybody sees, you know, we get to work with, you know, great athletes and this and that, but nobody sees behind the scenes. And that's a little bit what we were talking to about the podcast and all the, the, the business aspects of things. And 
all that. And he got tired of it. And I understand it. And I'm grateful for, you know, being able to come up mm-hmm. underneath somebody like that and being able to see what I didn't want. And I never wanted seven full-time trainers. I never wanted multiple facility facilities. So getting into this, I knew I wanted to train basketball players. I wanted to handle, you know, the complete basketball athlete, being able to train them on the court in the weight room, really have control over uh, more of the variables. And uh, by learning under him, and he sat so again he sat us down and didn't want to run a gym you're gonna have to start your own business i never wanted to do that (laughs) and now here i am you know eight nine years later uh i've got the gym going i'm out in idaho i am working with a client out here uh training their kids in idaho i got about five kids that i'm training out here and i got two full-time trainers back home holding down the gym and i'm focused on scaling my online program so that's where we're at good bio they would say good bio (laughs) <laughs> yes yeah. i mean there's a lot more to it but that's a quick overview of who i am i guess yeah man so uh i guess the the next obvious question is talking about that online program that you're scaling uh called good drills and uh i always feel like i was like such an early adopter of of the good theme you know what i mean like we would talk and, yeah. and we were talking and everything was just good you know what i mean like and and so to see you turn your brand and, and your program into good drills and you know people saying good like in the way that you do it, I love that because I feel <laughs> like I, I was like in the 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 beginning stages of that. And so talk about good drills, what it is, you know, who it's for, and how it came to life because I love it. Well, I, I don't really have any competition because everyone out there is trying to be elite. You know what I mean? Everyone out, you got elite camps, elite AAU programs, elite trainers, elite fitness. And uh, here I am. And, you know, I'm just offering good. So I, I don't really have any competition anymore. And uh, it's funny. I get DMs. You know, Good Drills is a genius marketing play. I'm like, dude, I, I just... I got tired of writing long captions. That's all it is. Dude, that's so that's so good, man. Like we were talking, I, I mean, just years ago, just about how how much we hate writing captions and trying to sound so smart when really in the gym we would just be like, just do this, it'll work. It's good. And it's like now you got a whole program yeah. on that. We've talked, I mean, the amount of different rabbit holes I've gone down and I'm trying to understand the science and this and, and it's like I'm, I'm sitting here trying to just show all these people, you know, that I know what I'm talking about and everything that I'm doing. And I'm saying that's what everybody's doing, not just me. And we're trying to show and who are we trying to show like other trainers or who am I actually trying to help? And that's the realization that, you know, right now I'm called to speak to high school college athletes. Right. Do athletes need another, you know, mobility routine? Do they need another? Do they? I, I don't know. And that's the kind of before I post anything now, it's like, who am I trying to serve? Who am I trying to communicate to? Do they need to know this, right? Or, you know, can I just maybe inspire them a little bit, show them what my athletes are doing and more kind of paint the picture, right? Mm-hmm. Rather than get into the nitty gritty and all the details. There's there's always going to be people out there smarter than me. There's always going to be people out there going down those rabbit holes and there's nothing wrong with that. We sh- I have an appreciation for the science. I have a, you know, an appreciation for the mechanisms that we use to get our athletes to adapt, right? Implementing stress and managing stress and all the stuff we do. Like I've gone down that stuff. I've read the literature, but how much of that needs to be known by our athletes? Right. Right. And you know, that's where good drill is at now. I'm, you know, there's times I might go down and, you know, try to educate more, but I always have to monitor myself because I'm not trying to impress you. You know, I'm not trying to impress 
coaches. I'm trying to, you know, change the world of basketball training or, and how Hoopers, and I, I want it to be more attainable. Hoopers are so dependent now on trainers, on coaches. And I see it like that you put them out in a chaos of a game and it's like, who are they mm -hmm. when that trainer's not there correcting every movement? Who are they when they don't have a trainer, you know, patting them on the back saying good job when he didn't do a good job <laughs> and, and stuff like that, right? So I, I'm really trying to prepare them for the competition and I, I need them to take ownership. My goal with any athlete I approach or that I get to train, work with, is that they don't become dependent on me, mm -hmm. right? I need them to become self-empowered. I need them to be... I want to create this problem. I want to create this environment and have that athlete figure out how to navigate it. Because if we look at elite performers, right, they're not elite because of a trainer they had. They're not elite because of a coach. They might have had a coach or a trainer that ignited them, that brought something out of them. But they had something within themselves, a level of self-belief that brought them to that level, the drive, the hunger, the obsessiveness, right, the, all those intangible things. And now how can I bring that out of athletes? Because that's more important than any drill I can give them. And we can go all the different modalities in the weight room, vertical jump programs, mobility routines, whatever it is. But that have that desire, that obsession, that that something in them that is good. They're going to, it's like so much more about the intent and the focus yep. within the drill than the actual drill itself. How can I instill that? And that's what I'm trying to figure out. Yeah. I love that, man. That's such a good approach. And obviously it's working for, for your business and your athletes. Um, kind of, you know, taking a step back, you mentioned you do both, strength and skill you guys have that total package you know it's a one-stop shop for the athlete who's trying to get better at their craft um, and you were actually one of the first people to to kind of help me make that leap you know what I mean to where I was doing both consistently and had two feet in both buckets so to say how um how did that come about for you and, and kind of what was some of your struggles that you went through in the beginning phases it, um, so I was a hooper and, you know, not a very good one. I, I was able to play, you know, I was, I was a good high school player in a you know, suburban town and I, I played division three basketball and I was a decent division three basketball and I was athletic. I'm six foot seven. I could dunk the ball. I had handle. I could shoot. And I, I was always so much more into, I think, the training because I could control that. Right. I wanted to be good, but I didn't have that belief, as I was just talking about, to be good. And when it came down like to what I want to do with my life. It's like, I really want to help basketball players. And I had always was drawn to the weightlifting. Like that was something I could control, right? Mm -hmm. I could always go in there, yeah. put, and I could control that, right? That was a play. I, like I was a worker, right? I worked, I wanted to learn. I wanted to strength train. I wanted to do all this. So I was just drawn to both aspects of it. And, um, I didn't, it just made sense to me and why not? And, the knock is back when I was starting this 10 years ago, you know, being expert in one thing, you know, niche sells. Mm. And I'm like, well, my niche is the complete development of basketball players. That's what I want to do. You know, and they're like, focus on one thing. I am the complete development right. of basketball players. Yep. And there were a lot of even mentors, friends of mine, you know, other people in this industry that were like, nah, just do skill or do strength. And I'm like, no. And I stuck to my guns on it. And now you're seeing it. It's, becoming a normal thing. And I think, you know, three years from now, five years from 10 years from now, it's going to be the norm Yeah, because it, it makes sense being able to oversee everything. You know, you're, you're cutting out a lot of the variables that like you're training a guy, uh, you're doing strength training with him. I'm doing basketball. We have to constantly communicate, right? That's a level of, uh, an, an additional level that's needed to work with these athletes and we're knocking that out. Yep. So 
how it started. Uh, it was an idea. And I, you know, put my head down for 10 years and now it looks like other people are doing yeah. it. Yeah. Not to say I'm the first, but. Yeah, no, it, 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 you nailed it because it's like people always say stay in your lane, right? And it's like, and my lane is basketball. So I am staying in my lane. I'm, I'm handling the complete development of a basketball player. And I know the, the load that they have on the court. I know the load that they're under in the weight room. And now that gives me the best um, information to help them continue to progress. And then you and I both know it sounds good at first. You know, if you're the skill guy and I'm the weight room guy and we're like, hey, we share this athlete. Let's communicate every Wednesday and we'll we'll tap in. You know what I mean? I'll let you know. But it never works out like that. Like either there's some type of somebody gets some type of feeling or, you know, somebody wants more credit than they're getting or we just get too busy. It just doesn't it doesn't go down like that. And it never has. And so um, that is the hybrid model is what I call it. And I think like you're right in the next 10 years should be normal. And I think all the best players at the highest level will have a coach that does both for them. Yeah. Yeah, I think you're going to see in other sports too. I, you know, I think you'll see D back coaches handle mm-hmm. all the stuff for the defensive backs in a football team, or all the wide, you know, quarterback development on uh, handling both aspects of the quarterback's development. I think you're going to see it across all sports because it's more efficient, and I think over time, efficiency wins. Hundred percent. Right. Yep. At, but what does it take? It, it takes a level of education. It takes, you know, for a skill guy to start getting into the S&C world. You know, there, there's a lot of books out there on S&C. Where do you start? Mm-hmm. How do we simplify that process? And that's something I'm thinking about now. Like, Out of all the things I know, what do I really need to know? If I had to sum up, you know, 10 years of education and, you know, countless certifications <laughs> and books that I've read into a, into, a, into a thing, you know, what is it? What do I really need to know? And I need to know how to manage stress. And I need to know how to meet the athlete where they're at and add complexity and stimulus over time, whether we're talking about raising strength qualities, general um, physical qualities, right? How, how they jump, run, sprint, throw, whatever it is, or basketball qualities in terms of skill. It's meeting them where they're at and adding complexity over time. And I, I don't think you can argue or refute that. So when I'm putting out good drills, it's like, am I really saying anything that you can argue? I try not to. <laughs> right. I'm trying to, you know, this is, this is what I'm doing. And if you want to argue this, I don't know how you can. You can try, but this is this is how it works. Yep. Right. I'm not I'm using an ecological dynamic approach, you know, which there's plenty of literature out there on for developing skill, skill acquisition. And then strength training is, you know, how you're implementing stress. And there's a bunch of different ways to implement stress. But ultimately, I'm trying to give them, you know, maybe what they're not getting in their sport, build up those general qualities mm-hmm. in the weight room, keep it simple. And, you know, I don't know. Yeah, it's like how much of what I know do I really need to know to do what I'm doing today, and it's not nearly as much as I know. No, yeah, we we <laughs> overshoot it on the education for sure, especially early in our careers with all the certifications we think we need, and and uh, I just I look at you know some of those certifications. I think at one point I had every single certification that the NASM had to offer. Like just because I had to recertify every two years to keep it alive. And I'm, I ran out mm-hmm. of like offerings. And so I'm like, damn, I, I took a, you know, a group fitness certification. And I'm like, what did I learn in that? You know what I mean? I, I didn't, yeah. I didn't retain any of that. I just wanted the little badge to say I kept my CEUs alive. 
yeah and uh, every new thing we learn that becomes what we see right if i if i go down you know going down frc and mobility rabbit holes mm. you know every player i train now has a mobility issue do they yes mm-hmm. but is that really what's going to move the needle for them right do they need 10 more degrees of dorsiflexion do they need you know five more degrees of hip internal rotation it might help them and there's a time and a place for that and i'm glad i i've gone down these rabbit holes to have this knowledge and be able to see movement the way i see movement but what's really going to move the needle. And it always comes down to that. And there's times where, yeah, I have that tool in my toolbox. So it's not like it's bad. I'm not saying I'm not bashing learning and I'm not bashing (laughs) understanding the science. Right. But ultimately we're dealing with humans, right? We're dealing with humans and that relation, that human relationship is going to trump anything we know about actual training, right. And how we can inspire them and bring them to the edge of their ability and ignite them. Because you give one of these kids that have those intangibles, right. And you put them in a, a very basic strength training program, right? Yeah. With, you know, progressive overload and you get him on the court and you just continually add chaos to his life, right? That's going to drive him. He's going to have that hunger. And the ones that don't have that, how can I communicate with them? How can I learn about this athlete and what makes him take? Because what I've learned is what motivates me doesn't always motivate who I'm training. And I think as coaches or trainers, we think everybody's motivated by the same things as us, mm-hmm. but that's not true. You know, little Johnny could be motivated by trying to make his dad proud while, you know, um, Peter over here is motivated by he, he wants to fit in at school, right? Or whatever it is. And like learning why they're here, why they're in the gym. And one of the most valuable things I ever learned from a mentor is the more you learn about somebody, right, the more you can help them. And that's more important than any of the knowledge I have, because we can fill in that. If I ask the right questions, I get good at asking and communicating with my athletes, right? All I have to do, it's a quick Google search or, you know, call you or call another trainer, call a PT or call this guy. And then I can help him. I don't need to know everything, but I need to know that I don't know everything. And I think it's more important to understand what you don't know, right? Then lean on what you do know and try to always have that answer. 100%. I love that. And that's, it's crazy that we're just freestyling this because that leads me right into something I wanted to ask you about. And that is, your ability to create relationships. And I think, you know, what we originally probably connected on was how we see training as, you know, being a human based, you know, relationship, a partnership, if you will, with our athletes. And I think you have a, you know, a a crazy unique background story because you went through a lot of stuff. You did a lot of work on yourself to help get you to be able to manage and create these relationships that you are today. Um, If you don't mind, dive in on that for me, like kind of, you know, how you're able to communicate the way you do, how you're able to form these relationships like you do, and how kind of some of the things that you struggle with in your past have helped you get to this point. Yeah, I I was never a superstar. You know, I made the travel teams and I, you know, I was a role player on whatever sport I played and I I could always do things, but I I was never a superstar. And I was always really, I really cared what people thought about me. Mm. And I I really like, I, I was never living in a way how I wanted to live. I lived in a world where I was more concerned how you viewed me. Right. And everything, how does this, what does this person think about me? What do you think about me? And I never really paid much attention to what I thought about me. So I I lived in a, you know, if you were smarter than me, I tried to talk, you know, smarter. Mm -hmm. If you were an athlete, I was going to talk like an athlete. If you're, and I was good. I was a chameleon. I could do all these things, but I, I never really 
put any focus onto who I was. And when you start living that way to appease others, it's just a slippery, slippery slope because there's no end to it. Right. And it, I, you know, I have an obsessive, addictive personality. I always have Watch me eat chocolate. It's dangerous. You know, <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's never enough. And uh, that progressed into my drug use. By the time I got to college, you know, I, blacking out was the goal. Right. As hard as I went on the court as much. And I was always, you know, I'm the guy that would, you know, get two hours of sleep, blackout, vent, wake up, you know, try to sweat it out in a weight room. I was a savage. But by the time I got to college, I, blacking out was the goal when I drank, when I partied. There was no mistake about it. I wasn't, oh my gosh, I blacked out. No, that was the goal. And that's how I did things. I, as hard as I went on the court, I, I went harder off the court and progressed that to my junior year of college at this time, you know, I played ball, I hooped, I didn't go to class. I always could always talk to teachers and, you know, whatever, if it was a 1.8 GPA to stay on a team, I had a 1.8 GPA. Like that's what it was. And I lost basketball my junior year. I fell herniated disc in my back and now I lost basketball. And that was the only thing keeping me above water. Other than that, it was, you know, partying. Mm -hmm. And I, I went into that. I stopped sleeping. I had uh, some manic stuff going on. And then I went into a big depression after that to get out of that depression. Uh, somehow I stumbled upon opiates and they worked, you know, when I, when I did painkillers, I felt better. I didn't want, you know, prior to that, I, I mean, I got to a place after the severe ups of the mania and all that kind of crazy stuff I went through very, it was hard for me to even get out of bed every morning and it was hard for me to do anything. And when I did these drugs, I felt better. And when it's like as dark as that, when the depression is as dark as that, it's like, all right, if I take this pill to feel better, right? Why not? Mm -hmm. right? It's better than that. And that kind of just progressed and progressed till, uh, you know, I couldn't afford those anymore. And that was, then I'm doing heroin. And then some, I get out of school and uh, I start stealing from everybody I love. And now I'm doing drugs and I get caught by my mom. It was November 18th, 2012. I was stealing her checkbook forging her signature and depositing checks into my bank account. I don't recommend doing that. You get caught pretty quick. And uh, my mom did exactly what she should have done. She kicked me out of the house. She said, if you use a, you know, do that again, I'm calling the cops. You come anywhere near me, I'm calling the cops. And now at 24 and a half years old, I have nowhere to go. And no car, no nothing. And uh, I had a girlfriend at the time, detox cold turkey on her couch for 12 days. Uh, then I had a court date for a prior... Uh, <laughs> bar experience where I got in a little fight and then I went to jail for the next 30 days down in uh, Maryland and I managed to put some time together where I didn't do any drugs and then I got into a couple different programs met up with some people that loved me before I could love myself and they told me if you want what I have you got to do what we do and uh, they promised me I'd never have to feel that way again and that's the first thing I believe from somebody in a long time this guy looking at me in the face saying you never have to feel this way again I said, what do I got to do? He says, what we do. And uh, I leaned on these guys, like I said, that loved me before I could love myself. I did a lot of work on myself, kind of uncovering and unpacking where all the fear was coming from and how to manage that without getting high and without trying to escape it. And I think, yeah, I went to heroin, but so much of us now, you know, we got that quick dopamine fix in our phone to get outside of ourselves. The world is just progressively and progressively trying to get us out of ourselves and connect to things I, I don't think it tells you to connect to all the time. That's why I spend so much time in nature. That's why I'm so into the hobbies and things that I am in family, because I know I'm always being drawn to get outside of myself, but I have to be okay with who I am. And if I'm constantly outside of myself, you know, I'm not doing any work. So now, like we talked about elite, right? I'm going to bring it back to the word elite and everything out there is elite. Everything is, you know, I'm not elite. I never was. 
right? But because I've been through so much pain, if there's one thing I understand in this world, it's struggle. Struggle. <laughs> so yeah, I can't even talk right. I, it's struggle. And I know that any athlete coming to me, whether it's, you know, on the top of his brain or not, whether they know it or not, if they're coming into me to pay me money to train them, they are struggling, right? So it's an instant thing where I, I lead from a power of, let's say, weakness, uh, a position of weakness, rather than a position of strength where I'm open about who I am, right? I'm okay with who I am. And that opens up, you know, young boys, girls, college people to actually develop real relationships because I'm not coming in here like I know everything. I'm never walking in the gym like I have everything figured out. I am coming in here and I'm learning just like they are. And I'm trying to learn about them. And again, to bring it back, the more I learn about them, the more I can help them. And that's the goal. And now if I put that in front, if I'm truly trying to help the humans in front of me, the, the children in front of me, all the S&C stuff, all the skill stuff, all the other stuff that we do mm -hmm. is really easy to fill in, right? right. We want to jump high. There's a lot of, it, it, I can go read the books about jumping higher. Can I, I can go read the books about progressive overload. I can go read the science and data. And that comes as a byproduct of truly caring about the human. So we put the human first and then we can fill in all the other stuff about the physical. Dude, that's amazing answer. Amazing answer. Like, I mean, what you just said could be the end of the podcast. Like it, you don't even... We don't even need to go deeper than that because you just hit everything so perfectly. Like that is exactly why you're having the success you're having. You know what I mean? Just from the, from what you've gone through and how you're applying it to, to better people's lives, man. I just, I love that. I got a lot of respect for that. Yeah. And I don't even want it to sound like I got it figured out because like there is no way to run a gym and not, you know, oh, the numbers are down this right. month. Oh, we got these problems. I'm dealing with phone calls. People are, uh, you know, credit cards are declined, <laughs> like all this kind of stuff. Like I said, like we've got so many things that are trying to take us out of that human level because, yeah, I need to make money. I need to do this. So it's I, I you know, I've delegated a lot of responsibility <laughs> and I. I choose to make less money all the time because I don't want to get lost in it because it's so easy. I tell you, know, I've got, I'm, you know, former alcoholic, drug addict, all that kind of stuff. And I get, I can get real obsessive over things very easily. So I need to structure my life that I can really just show up and do what I do. And that's train people. That's help people. That's teach people. You know, I like basketball. I like S and C what I love, right, is, is being of service. Mm -hmm. And I need to put that, I need to wake up. I'm not going to say I'm one of these guys with a crazy morning routine, but more often than not, I wake up and I try to find some gratitude and I try to remind myself of that. And I've got to put it in in the morning, right? Or else I'm off to the races. I'm complaining about this. I'm yeah. complaining about that. I've got all these problems. And like, my problems today are not problems. They may feel like problems, right? But they're all problems I created, right? And I like to always bring it back to that. Like, you know, I got problems with my house. I bought the house, right? I got mm -hmm. problems with my wife. I married her. I made that decision, right? I got problems with my dog. I bought the dog. I got problems with the truck. I bought the truck. I got problems with my business. I created the business, right? I created all these problems. So they're not real, right? I chose this. So rather than be like, I've got to change my perspective where I'm not trying to have a life without problems. I'm trying to be a man that can handle problems. Yeah. Right. There are, that's life. We're going to have problems. I'm not trying to run from them. I'm not trying to hide from them. I'm not trying to deny that they're there, but the measure of who I am today is how I handle these things. And, uh, that always brings it back to the right perspective. And then it's like, you know, if I'm having a bad day or I'm focused on things that don't really matter, like numbers or whatever it is, it's, I have to, I'm walking in that gym. I'm going to serve the person in front of me. And if I just focus on right now, I'm with you, Justin. 
I'm, I'm, I'm focused on you and that's it. And if I can bring it back to that, everything always works out mm-hmm. and it doesn't always feel like everything's going to work out. But if I could just per- focus on the person in front of me, if I could just serve the person in front of me, right? That's a good day. For sure, man. No, it's important. I, I love you sharing that that aspect of your story and stuff. Cause I think that helps people understand, you know, exactly the context behind, you know, Bobby white and good drills and what you guys do. And you mentioned, you're not trying to avoid problems or have a life without problems. You're trying to be somebody who can handle them. And that I think also translates to how you do your training and how you, you know, implement your drills and stuff. So I want to transition into like a talk about your constraint led approach and how you're, how you basically, give athletes situations and you don't necessarily give them the answer. You, you say, all right, here's a problem. Figure it out. Go do this. Like, and then that's how you acquire these skills that we're trying to acquire. Give us kind of the, the bird's eye view of constraint led approach and what that means to you. I, I think there is so much misconception out there as to the level of thought that actually goes into this <laughs> stuff. And it's like, if I have a seven-year-old girl who's never touched a basketball, you know, a constraints-led approach for her, you know, dribble the basketball. Right? <laughs> yeah, like it's, for sure. Yeah, like, like, <laughs> I, it's not like I'm throwing her. It could be simple. You know, <laughs> yeah. Like, it, it's, again, it comes back to meeting the athlete where they're at. If they can't control a jump shot, right, I'm, I'm going to do some you know, can you pass with one hand, right? Yeah. It's really meeting the athlete where they at, where they're at. But, um, I, I think it's like we're just, you know, throwing random things out there and we're not teaching it. I'll put some footwork together sometimes, but I'm always trying. It's more about hitting a position, hitting an, you know, feeling something mm-hmm. or, you know, bringing something out of them that they don't know is there rather than focusing on copying, you know, choreographed footwork. And the second I can get them to a certain level, right, I'm always just trying to up the complexity. And it's, you know, what are we trying to work on? Uh Oh, bring it back to your question. I'm kind of going off on a tangent. <laughs> it's all good. I appreciate tangents. Basically, the question is, yeah. how do you view like a constraint-led approach? Like, what does that mean to you if somebody's never heard that term or doesn't know what a constraint even is? Like, what's yeah. your working definition? So, I don't look at skilled behavior as an athlete uh, as an athlete being able to, you know perform something in a bubble Mm -hmm. right so if i remove the context of the sport if i remove you know five defenders if i remove you know any of that kind of stuff and i have an athlete that can perform a skill or a repetition that looks clean it is not the same as being able to perform that skill in the competitive environment okay so rather than bringing attention to the athlete's body rather than telling these athletes exactly what to do where to put their feet how to do things a lot of internal cueing right we're focused on the environment and how that athlete moves within that environment and as simple as i can put it that's what we're doing i i am looking at the relationship of the athlete in their environment and i'm not just looking at the athlete isolated by itself how does that athlete respond to the environment how does that athlete remove uh move through the environment you know our, our form is going to follow what's how we're adapting or perceiving and what we're seeing. If, you know, there was a step in front of me this side, right. I'm obviously going to only step that high. Mm-hmm. And now if I'm going up a stair, that's a, it's a boulder, right. right. That's going to change how I navigate that situation. And now I just extrapolate that and apply it to skill development and everything that we're doing. Um, I'm trying to find ways to manipulate the environment rather than bring focus to the athlete's body. 
Love that. So when, you know, obviously this has developed over time and, you know, I'm sure your thoughts on training and just like your thoughts on strength conditioning have changed and evolved over the years. What, let's talk about that, that evolution in terms of like skill development, you know, where, where'd you start and what changes along that road got you to this point? Like you start just asking critical thinking questions like, why am I doing this? What am I getting out of this? Like what led to this approach? Um, I, I'm, I love learning and I'm, I'm looking from at different fields across the, you know, just I'm pulling from everything mm-hmm. and it just always influencing how I communicate and teach athletes. I started, you know, working with a local A, there's a big, they had about 30 teams and the guy's a legend in uh, New Jersey's regarded as one of the top, uh, shooting coaches. And I, I'm watching him teach shooting and he, he's gotten results and he's had great players and all this, but everything is just so mechanical and broken down beat square elbow at 90 hand here hold that follow through stick and we're teaching form shooting and then i'm seeing a lot of the players every time they go to shoot that ball stops right here in their shooting pocket right above in front of their shoulder that ball stops at the shoulder why is that happening because we're doing all the shooting from here but i've got to be able to catch the ball from here and shoot that ball doesn't ever stop i want then i'm actually starting to watch good shooters does that ball stop here not really that ball is catch flow to the release Mm -hmm. so why are we breaking it down at all these different mechanisms making it robotic when the movement itself is not robotic so i'm starting to get now i'm influenced by flow and movement and being able to you know have an effortless feeling to it rather than when you start talking to these athletes they feel like you're helping them because you're putting hands on them you're oh good all right now correct this a little bit and they really feel like they're getting that kind of you know white glove approach and you know it's very elite and this and that and and, oh he's helped me so much oh he saw that my elbow was flared out two degrees more than it should be and now (laughs) it's coming off my you know pinky finger instead of rolling and all this kind of stuff and now they're thinking about everything now you place that athlete in a situation and somebody like me's guarding them that doesn't care about their freaking feelings and gonna take that ball and shove it down their throat and then dunk it on them and smile at them on the way back (laughs) where does how does that how does that translate yeah right so am I anti-internal cues? No, but there's a time and a place. There's, you know, sometimes we might need to bring some attention to the athlete, right? And what they're doing with their body because they're not feeling it. And I need to give them that, that they need a little, you know, nudge in the right mm-hmm. direction to feel something or they need a little cue. Oh yeah, I do feel that, right? Because sometimes we're not aware of what's going on, but I'm really trying, how does it grow? I don't know. I'm just going off on 10. I drink a lot of coffee. Um, <laughs> honestly, a lot of the, uh, then, and then I'm watching how much stuff is happening in the weight room. And, and you take a basketball player and he goes to a strength trainer and that strength and the athlete goes in there. I want to jump higher. And then that strength trainer has got him doing box jumps and he's got him doing vertimax jumping and all this kind of stuff. When that athlete, you know, plays, I don't know, 15 hours of basketball a week and he's jumping, right? He's changing direction. <laughs> he's going to a skill trainer and he's doing all this stuff. Does he really need more jumping? And some of them might, right? But a lot of them don't. And then we're overdoing it. And I'm like, well, how does this make sense? And that's where it's kind of evolved over time to where it's like in the weight room, I'm trying to give them things, you know, develop a level of robustness, get general qualities. We keep it really simple, but I can hit a lot of that athleticism, a lot of that speed work, a lot of that jumping, a lot of that change of direction by using a constraints kind of game led approach with my athletes where I'm getting them 
right? All that on the court and why not? So much of the stuff we see on the court from trainers going back, it's so focused on what the ball is doing, what the feet are doing, right? But there's a whole lot going on in between that ball and the feet, Mm -hmm. right? We talk about footwork, right? What about the movement? What about the ability to process and all these things? We can hit those boxes on the court. A lot of people don't, and they're more focused on, you know, through the legs, dribbles or whatever it is, step backs and all these kind of things. But we can hit a lot of those athletic qualities on the court. So then it starts kind of just willing it down over time to what I offer in the weight room and what I offer on the court. Love that. So when it comes to uh, like business wise, do you have athletes that only train with you on the court and don't lift or only lift with you and don't do the skill work? And then obviously I know you have both. What's your approach to that? I mean, your sales pitch or kind of like how you intake an athlete um, that may or may not want to do both or whatever that looks like. Yeah. I don't deal with any of that anymore because I just don't want to. Um, I've got now we're <laughs> kind of busy enough. And if you know, you're going to ask too many questions, like just come in and check it out. <laughs> yeah. Like I, 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 dude, I used to have a sit down one-on-one consultation with the athlete and the parents, bring them through the whole assessment We'd jump in and, uh, I would FMS them. I would do all the movements <laughs> and we, I'd sit there, I'd have a whole script that I would go through and I knew I could hit pain points and make the sale. And now it's like, you know, I don't even do free sessions. I, then I used to do free sessions and I wouldn't let any athlete get in the weight room before I went through the entire movement assessment and all that. And they would come in and I'm just like, I want to remove as many barriers to entry as possible. You know? So right now there's, you know, you're going to pay whatever it is, 50, 55 bucks come in for a session. If you like it, good sign up for membership. If you don't go somewhere else and that's fine. I know I believe what I'm doing <laughs> and I have a track record to prove it. Uh, not, you know, it's like, I mean, look around, look who's in this gym right now. Like if you want to be here, that's on you, buddy. Right. But it took a long time to get there and it took all the, you know, the other stuff I did to build that reputation. So it's not like I'm knocking what I used to do because it got me to where I am now. And I needed to do all that stuff. I needed to get people in my gym. I needed to, you know, be able to feed myself. So I went through all that kind of stuff, but now it's evolved over time. It's like my wife handles the phone calls. She does all the membership setup. I get to show up and be Bobby. Um, (laughs) That's nice. But the intake... We run, we, so we, it's hard to get everybody. We run a semi-private model on the stage. So there's never more than five or six athletes doing strength training. And then I like to keep the class sizes small on the court, which is eight athletes. And that's manageable. Um, We break them up into different skill levels. So on the court, I've got three skill levels, uh, one, two, and three, three is all athletes that are uh, either on a college trajectory or already playing in college. And my smoke detector is going off. It's all good. Wife's going to handle it. Now Showbiz, we, baby. we are, it's all right. It's all good. <laughs> um, so in terms of like intake, we're, we're always testing and tracking. So we put together, we got the Vertec, we got the jump mat. We have some timing devices for, you know, we go a half court sprint because that's what we have. Uh, we do a couple, we've got a triple jump or two, one, two jump. We got a couple different things that we're doing. There's no real we're just rotating through them. So every session, right, we're going to do some warm up, some game, whatever, whatever it is, then we're going to test something. We do this every single session. So we'll test an approach, a max, a uh, max approach jump, right? We'll test a standing jump. We'll test a, uh, a triple jump. We'll test a 10 yard sprint. And this does two things. We're constantly, you know, measuring, remeasuring, seeing things. And that allows it. So if an athlete's coming off the street, unless we're getting something down, right, they all, they're all coming in to jump higher, 
right? So whether we're testing a broad jump or a triple jump, at least we, we have some type of jumping metric down. And the next time they come in, we'll test something else. So that's what we do that daily. Five days a week in our gym, we're testing something. And that's part of our warm up routine. I want them competing. And that all that does something. Sometimes I'll come in and I'll know an athlete's max approach vert is 36 and he comes in at a 29. You know, are we going to go today? Oh, this is going to be a chiller day, right? So that we get a lot of information from that. Then quarterly, every time the seasons change, right, we have our big testing. And that's where we're testing uh, a lot more. We're going to do a broad jump. We're going to do a non-counter movement broad jump. We're going to do a double jump. We're going to do a triple jump. We're going to do a broad jump off one leg. We're going to do a two-one-two jump. Now we're looking at how we recycle energy and all that. We're going to do a loaded carry. We give them 75% of their body weight and they walk for max distance. That's going to give me a good baseline of how quickly they break down under load. And we're getting all these numbers down. And obviously I'm going to test a vertical jump because that's where they're there for. I took that actually out of, uh, it's under the FMS umbrella. It's called a functional capacity screen. It works really well. Is it the end all be all? No, nothing is. I don't believe anything is, but it gives me some good metrics and it's really easy. Uh, they have a nice, uh, uh, I've got the iPad in there and I can input all the information in there. It sends them a detailed report of what we just saw. And we're going to look at their ability to produce power one time. We're going to look at their ability to recycle energy, you know, produce power multiple times. We're going to see if there's a big difference from left to right. We're going to see how quickly they break down under load. And we also do a motor control screen where we're just doing a, a lower body reach and an upper body reach, you know, seeing how well they can balance and control their movement. Right. And I don't know, like, what else do we need to know? You know, do I want to get the, you know, vault performance or, you know, all these different uh, force plates and all this? I could. Is it going to change what I do? I don't believe so. Right. I don't believe so. So I get enough there. And again, there, there's as much as I knock the science, it's like I want to put numbers to what I'm doing. And if the numbers aren't improved and that's, it makes it easy to talk. I'm trying to relate this to intake, even though I lost the reservation with these answers, right? I make it real easy for them. We're going to come in, we're going to get numbers. And in 30 days, two months, these numbers don't improve. Please go somebody somewhere else, right? I don't have to sell them. I can, I can take the emotional, you know, I'm the best. All No, this is, there's proof here. And I, I've got, you know, I've got my file cabinet up there with all my client folders and all these things. Go pick one. You know, go, go look at one. I, I bet the numbers went up. Do they always go up right away? No. Do they always go up like this? No. But if they don't go up, I got to go back to the drawing board and see what I'm missing. And that's, again, I'm taking, like, it, it takes that emotional piece out of it. So much of us are trying to act like we know everything. It's more about what I can find out mm -hmm. and then go from there. Yeah. No, testing, uh, I, I love that. I love having objective data you know what i mean say like i'm a i'm a nice guy you know what i mean i like all my athletes i'm gonna be like hey you look better you look faster you look like you're getting bouncy but i that's just me being nice i want to see numbers like you are faster you are jumping higher you are xyz getting stronger whatever the case may be so i love testing i love you know kind of the intake process it's funny you said that about the consultation i used to have the that as well. Like I used to be like, you know, it's mandatory. Like you have to, you have to do it or you can't train with me. And then what happened was I started getting more pros and these pros are not with the bullshit. They're like, yo, I just want to get better. And so I was like, well, what am I going to do? Tell so-and-so like, ah, I can't train you, bro. You got to get a full assessment for, no, the testing is the training. The training is the testing and it's a cycle because when you measure everything, you have the data. So it's just like, and that's, 
I'm not trying to like poo poo reading books and understanding, you know, because I can easily now get an athlete on a stage, tell him to do an overhead press. And if he's not getting that bicep to his ear, oh, he, he might, he's got something going on right. with his shoulders, right? We, we might need to work some shoulder extension. He, I can see that quickly or, you know, squat for me. You know, how does that squat look, right? I can, I can pick up a lot of information on the fly because though it all started with this intake process yep. and I have now the lens of thousands of athletes yep. that I've done one-on-one intakes with where I can pick up things very quickly in a group setting. I wouldn't recommend what I do to anybody else just starting. Go right. through the stripes, learn from people, get the certifications, read the books, go down these rabbit holes. And then after 10 years, you know, then start, you know, trying to worry about how you're going to put it all together. Yeah. It's the like, perfect regret going down. I was just going to say it's the perfect example of addition by subtraction. You, for 10 years, you build up, you know, whatever education bank you're trying to build up. And then you get to the point where, I mean, you can't possibly use everything that you've learned over that span. So you subtract everything that doesn't matter to get you to the point where you're just like, okay, I need these five things. I need to be really efficient at these. I need to be great at teaching them, testing them demoing them blah 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 and that's what i need and that's you know kind of the point where i think we're both at a similar point in that where it's like you you're starting to peel away some of the shit that doesn't matter and just get down to business faster and even to take that one further even getting them to jump higher faster really doesn't matter if they're not a bucket Right? Can this dude who? Right? Like, yeah. like, that's that's right. the clip for Instagram right, right there. Right. Right. You know, can, can this dude who? Because that's like, yeah, I want to jump higher, but why do you want to jump higher? What? So I can dunk, right? Right. So I can be, but and we lose that perspective. And that's why I think it's so important for like, I love that you're getting on the court now and doing this. It's so important because if I'm just an SNC, if I'm just in the weight room, all I see is the weight room and my athletes, they're jumping higher. Their squats going up. They got, you know, a faster time. This, da, da, da. He's going out and he's sitting on the bench though. Right. You got the, you got the best athlete sitting on the bench. Best athletes. Yeah. If he doesn't know how to hoop and that I can't lose that. And that's why it's so, I mean, my, I got this junkie stage with a hodgepodge of kettlebells, and you know, old squat rack that nobody can even do a pull up on. Cause they're all too tall. Right. <laughs> it's like, you know, <laughs> I should have got the tall boy. I got the little guy. <laughs> but <laughs> feel that. But then, then they jump down off the stage and they're on the court and that's where I can really see. Like that's what we need to be focused on. They're coming to me to get better at their sport. They're not coming at to me to get more athletic in the grand scheme of things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. So I'm gonna get them more athletic. Yeah. Double double down on that question. It's basically the same thing. What's your um kind of your process for somebody on the court? Like do you have any testing protocols or just any type of workouts that you want to see to set a baseline for where they're at? I mean, what's the test of a hooper? You know, uh, you know, does it one on one? Are you winning? Two on two? Are you winning? Three on three? Are you winning? Yeah. Five on five? Are you winning? Right. And I think there's a a lot of players lack the self awareness where it, it's like, do you win? Because that's it's it's a W or an L, right? It's are you do you help your team win? Yeah. Do I, do I have guys that you know drop thirty? Yeah. I also got guys that you know led the state in charges, you know, and became a division one player that averaged 12 points a game mm-hmm. right and there's different things it, it's ultimately like 
developing that level of self-awareness to understand where you're at. It's like, we always want to keep growing. We always want to add new tools to the bag. We always want more, more, you know, I want to be able to shoot better, do all this stuff, but it's like understanding where you at right now. Mm-hmm. Right. And now when you walk on the court, what's going to put your team in the best position to win? Maybe you're not the best scorer on the team right now. And that's okay. And that's why I've really been like thinking, ruminating on his thoughts. Like, why can't we stink at basketball and be confident? Like, why does a newcomer, uh, a, a guy that's just, you know, green, you know, not good at dribbling, can't shoot that well, maybe not that athletic. Why does that have to, why does that have to affect his confidence? And does it really, it does, right? Because we want to be good at things, but why can't I go out there and be like, all right, I'm not that good right now. I really love this. I love being on, on the court, mm-hmm. right? I want to work and I want to get better, but why do I have to be doubting myself? If I develop a level of self-awareness, all right, I'm not that good right now, but I'm going to go out and I'm going to try as hard as I can. If I mess up, that's okay. And then, and I think that's like what these great players have when they started, they weren't worried. They, and a lot of them probably started at a young age, got thrown into it, right? So they could go through the bumps and the bruises of being bad at basketball. They got it done, you know, yeah. in the second, third grade. By the time they're to the middle school level, they're good because they put in the work. And a lot of players that are just starting in middle school or just starting in high school, it's like they don't want to look bad in front of the guys that are good. But I try to like communicate that, like, we can detach our, our mental, we can detach our confidence from our current skill level. And that's going to allow you to really like, yeah, we're going to work. We're going to get better, but it's really starting to understand the game and where you're best suited in that game right now. That's yeah. That's a very valid point, man. I see that a lot. Um, just even with my, my oldest son, uh, Julian, he's, he's seven playing baseball and I see that on his team a lot. You know what I mean? Cause the kids are trying to figure it out. And there's always a couple phenoms on every team. That's just like, wow, how is he hitting it to the fence when he's seven years old? And then I think there's always the kids that are like expecting themselves to be able to do that as well. And it's like, no, he's an outlier. You know what I mean? You stay confident. You stay in love with the process, having fun, chanting in the dugout, sliding, getting dirty. Like that's the shit that's fun and that matters. You keep doing that for long enough. You're going to blink and you're going to be a freshman playing varsity. And you're like, wow, I made it through the tough time. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then like, and it's so cliche, enjoy the process, bringing it back to like that confidence piece. It's like, and my, I'm not, I'll give him credit. My guy, Ross Greenfield, uh, who works with me now, he was, it's like Steph Curry, you know, he can shoot from half court every time. Right. Mm -hmm. Does he not do it because he's not confident? No, he doesn't do it because it doesn't make sense. Right. Right. So it's like, there's no lack of confidence. LeBron will pull from like, he doesn't care. Right. He's detached. It's, It's not a matter of confidence. Why I'm not sure. Like, for them it's just it doesn't make sense so it's like how can we get that now to young athletes that you know i get lost on this i want to like get this down to where i can really hammer this out in conversation but i i think there's something here in like just being able to who we are our identity doesn't have to be attached to how we perform and if i can start painting that picture with young athletes like they just lose that fear right yeah you can stink and be confident it's okay yeah, like you can confidently turn the ball over. Yeah. So you don't have to. But like the progression is like, I turn, oh, I stink at basketball. Well, yeah, you do because you haven't played enough. You haven't done this long enough. That's okay to stink at basketball. That doesn't need to devalue who you are as a person. And that's where it goes. It goes from a missed shot to I stink at shooting to I can't play basketball to I'm terrible at basketball to I shouldn't even exist to mm-hmm. I'm a piece of junk human being yeah. <laughs> like they watch young players this is that's the transition yep. it's like let's let's not bring who you are into this and yeah i missed a shot 
And the faster they can get to that, the faster they really start getting better. Man, my one of my mentors and really good friends, Derek Grant, he's a he's a mindset coach and he's like unreal. Like one of the things he always tells me is you will always be who you think you are. So it's like same thing. It's similar to what you're saying. You have to be able to tell yourself you're not how you perform on the court. You're not how you, how strong or weak you are in the weight room. You're not your job or your whatever, all these variables is like, you got to still be able to program your mind to be confident, even when you mess up or even when things aren't going yeah. right. It's like, you got to have that. And yeah, I like where you're going with this. I, I, you're right. There's something there. And, and that is a missing piece. And when you figure it out, I'm going to steal it from you and implement it into my kids' lives. <laughs> Yeah. And on the other side, like, and it's like, I'll, I'll see a player get all emotional and I want them to know, like, it's actually kind of good that you're getting emotional. Cause that means you care. Yeah. Right. Yep. It's like, like, so it's also like, yeah, so you do care about this. So like that's showing me something. Right. But it's like that toe the line of like, yeah, I'm care. I'm obsessive. I'm passionate. And that's the other thing, like to be really good at anything, like we'll speak in the context of basketball, like you need to be obsessive. And if you're obsessive about basketball, you're probably going to, you know, either say no to, or, or not be, you're going to miss a lot of other things that other kids mm -hmm. get to, you know, get to experience. And I, I tend to gravitate to those kids that are obsessive and really want to be college hoopers and are really all in, but like, I'm never going to be hard on somebody that comes in and says, yeah, I, I just want to do this for fun. They don't usually stay with me, mm -hmm. but it's like the, what it really takes, that level of obsessiveness, you need to say no to, to a normal life because you're not going to, it's not normal to get to that next level, to become a college basketball player, even at D3, like you need to do a lot of things that other people aren't willing to do. And I think coming to grips with that, it's like more about what you're willing to say no to. Yeah. Where, where do you, like, is there a line this is going to be a hard question to answer because I don't even know how to ask it. Where do you draw the line of obsessiveness? Because I think, you know, what we know today about, you know, just everything we know, we look at a guy like Kobe and we're like, that's the the furthest extreme you can go. You know what I mean? Him and Mike are, are yeah. those are the furthest extremes you can go. And then you've got today what we know about, you know, stress management and all that stuff today they would say, hey, you shouldn't, you shouldn't wake up at 3 a.m. and get that workout in. What, you know, kids today are missing prom to go to an AAU tournament that, you know, isn't in the live period. Like, where's the line? You know what I mean? Because I don't know even how I feel about that. That was like a topic of debate the other day. And I'm like, damn, that's, that's tough. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. I don't know what I would have done. But do you have like any thoughts on that? I do, and there's no line. And I think it, it's a it's a perfect, beautiful question because it brings it back to putting the human first. And there's a re I only train the top level right now, not because I don't want to train the lower levels, because I can't have that intimate relationship I want with more than you know twenty kids, let's say, right? right? Because I want to. I need to know each one individually to see how are they handling. This is like, how are they handling? Is it breaking them down? Is it starting? Are they losing sleep at night? Are they going through? Are they depressed? Right. I, I want to know. I, I It's that it's that real fine line. Right. Yeah. It's like, is it going too far? And, and only that kid, only that human in front of you is going to really know that. And, it, you know, I, I think that's what we're talking about, bringing it back to 
the human and that's the individual. So yeah, I have got this group setting, but I know each of these kids on an individual level mm-hmm. um, and who they are. And I, I can tell by their face and their mannerisms and their posture when they walk in where they're at. And if they're going too hard, right, we might need to reel it back a little bit. And I mean, that's what's going to separate the great. Well, like who can endure? Who can go through that level of set? Who can go through what it takes? It's not, you go to that next level, you go to the college level, it's a business. It's no longer, yeah. you know, yeah, you're, you're getting to play a game, but it's a big business at the next level, right? It, not many people can take that. They yeah. can't. Yeah. I couldn't. It's, <laughs> you know, I did drugs. <laughs> it's, 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 it's the reason why it's, you know, 3% or whatever high school players, I, I forget the number, but it's like, bro, it is, an accomplishment to, to play college well, basketball at any level. Overbearing, overbearing fathers. Like, you know that crazy dad that's yelling on his kid, hard on his kid? There's a lot of kids of those overbearing fathers that are in the NBA right now. Are, are they great humans? Are they happy? I know. I don't know. You know, I've seen them. Dads that are on top, you know, all the time yelling at games. You know, these guys that become – a lot of their kids are in the NBA. Is that – you know, was it worth it? You'd have to talk to them. Yeah. Yes. And probably say, I have a horrible relationship with my father right now. And again, it comes down to the person, right? So am I going to knock it? No, I don't have any skin in the game there. So this dad is doing what he thinks is best for his kid. He's yelling at every game and he's pushing him, breaking him down. You know, time will tell. Yeah. That's crazy, man. It's parenting things we're going to have to think about soon. I mean, yeah. My kids are already playing sports and I'm, I'm, you know, trying to figure out what my identity is as a sports dad. You know what I mean? Like who, what, how am I going to approach that? And it's, it's scary, man. Cause I mean, I grew up playing with those. I grew up playing with guys that had those overbearing fathers. I grew up kind of with guys in the middle, you know, some, some parents weren't even in the picture. So it's like, there's a, there's a, there's a broad spectrum and I'm just trying to find my place and try to figure out, what's best for my kid. And uh, like you said, time will tell. It's like, there's no right way. You know, you just, you figure this shit out. I mean, you know, you got, you got Remy, she's seven months old. Now you're figuring shit out every day. Like there's no book for this, bro. Yeah. And even if you read a book, even if you read a book about parenting, you know, that's somebody else's experience that they wrote down and it might not apply to you and your lifestyle. Um, You know, and it just goes back to, same theme we've been thinking about is like humans are all motivated and and uh, affected by different things in different ways so you got to try to find what works for you and the people that you're working with uh, because there's no one size fits all no never is all right it's time for the it's time for the hot seat man so i got some random questions some rapid fire questions i'm gonna throw at you uh, some of them are about basketball. Some of them aren't. You can just do whatever you want on answers. You know what I mean? It could be lengthy, short, whatever you're feeling. All right. <laughs> First one is about basketball. What is the goodest good drill? The goodest good drill? There's no goodest good drill. That's the whole thing. <laughs> there is not. There is not. They're all good. They're just good. They're There's just no good. goodest. I was hoping to, get, yeah, I was hoping to break you down on that. Um all right, what's your favorite hoop and shoe? Kobe six. Kobe six. I will not buy them for a thousand dollars. Hell no. I, I won't do it. No chance. Back in 2012, I had like probably 15 pairs of them. I went through all of them. Damn. I, I'm, not, I'm not. 
It's crazy what they're doing. Yeah. I like the, the the new one I've been trying. I, the Converse's are sick. They don't make that. Those are getting expensive now too. I was able to get a bunch of those from Converse at one point on through all them. Then I was I liked them so much I kept buying them on StockX. But now they're getting up three hundred, four hundred dollars for a pair of shoes that was a hundred some bucks. Wow. And I got the GT Cut. I started messing with the GT Cuts. That was a, again four hundred dollar pair of shoe. Mm. But everyone saw spoke so highly of them. I tried those. Those are good. I don't know. I got the Lucas I brought out here to Idaho. I've been wearing those. I like those, those. and more. they're cheap. Yeah, you can get them for yeah. under a hundred. Yeah. Yeah. Those are solid. I got the Luca ones, all red ones. I like those. Yeah. Um, yeah. What's your favorite hobby outside of coaching? Uh, hunting with my bird dog and training my bird dog. Love that. I knew that. I hunt I, all I, over the country. Yeah. I knew that. I, I just wanted to have you say it publicly because I care more about <laughs> training my dog than than basketball players. I'll say that 100. percent I enjoy training my dog and hunting more than anything I do with basketball players. Dude, you need to come train my dog, man. She's a freaking, she's a mess. Um, what was your first job ever? Uh, I worked at a country club maintenance. I was making six fifty an hour. Uh, I started working at like thirteen. I felt I've always worked. I always like working, but uh, I thought I was gonna be there the rest of my life. I worked there for seven years till I was twenty one. I talked in the beginning of this about going. I got fired. I was all manic and crazy, and I scared everybody because I was a nut job. Ended up in the psych ward and got fired at twenty one. And I, I dude, I was devastated because I I thought I was gonna work maintenance at this country club. It was like tennis courts and it was like clay courts. I would sweep the courts, do the garbages, fix things. I felt like I had like ownership in this place. Like there'd be a something i don't know we built like a fence and i'm like i made that fence yeah <laughs> dude i love that that's crazy i started working at oh, 13 no, as no, well. wait, wait, I, that job was so good because by the time i was 15 i had some you know some time in there so i was the man i was running things at yep. like 15 and our my boss was like a drunk so he would just disappear and leave us a to-do list and we had a spanish dude and like three eighth ninth graders that would work for us underneath us so me and my best friend worked together we're 15 16 years old running the entire maintenance <laughs> department of this country club we'd be out fishing by the time we said we had the company credit card we go out to like lowe's or home depot buy a bunch just, of stuff. Uh, dude that sounds like a, a freaking like a movie or some type of netflix yeah. series or something uh, it was great as though, what's one thing in your daily routine that, that you do every day that adds value to your life? Uh, right now, it's I'm spending as much time as I can with my baby. Yeah, I, I, I'm I'm out here in Idaho. You know, I, we talked a little bit. I got a uh, job out here working for a family, and uh, yeah, there was a financial piece to that coming out here. But the the driver would made really made me take this opportunity to spend as much time with my baby as possible. Um, but it's so easy to be distracted in this world. And, you know, I live in North Jersey and it's crazy with the, uh, you know, two businesses now trying to scale this and it, it, it it's everything is, is to just become the best father possible and spend as much time with my family as possible. So right now, all my focus is on spending as much time as I can with her and watching her develop. hundred percent. Grow. And it's love, unreal. love that, bro. Love that. Uh, <laughs> complete swing in the other direction. Do you believe in aliens? No. I believe, I believe in, you know, I, I, I'm a man of faith, uh, you know, met my wife in church and all that. Uh, you know, I believe in, <laughs> in, in things. I don't know about aliens. <laughs> What's your most embarrassing basketball story? Most embarrassing basketball story. Oh my, dude, I was a mess in college. I don't, I got, uh, we had, well, I got back up. <laughs> Oh my! I could go on and on about this one. I was a mess, dude. Uh, <laughs> most embarrassing. My coach, my coach called me. He said, "Don't be an idiot like Bobby in the middle of practice." Um, 
in front of the whole team in college. Uh, I was always so, like I talked about, I was always so concerned with what other people thought about me. And it's like, I can never just get into that flow of game. I pick up, I was good, dude. I was, I could play, like I really could. But like once you started to put in a system or any type of plays, I was so fixated on running the play correctly and appeasing the coach and all of this. So I was never present. So I could never grab, it's not that I'm stupid. It was like, I got, I'm just not present. I'm not here because I'm stuck in my head with my fear and my thoughts. So I had this, in the middle of the practice, Coach Goody, I love him to death. Somebody messed up and he said, don't be an idiot like Bobby. And in front of the whole team, like, I, like it just came out and, and it's like, that's what he thinks. Of. And for me, that's so worried about what other, that was yeah. like validation to my negative thoughts that this guy really thought I was an idiot. Yeah. And that was embarrassing. I can see that. Don't be an idiot like Bobby. Cutting deep. Yeah. But now it's like, I, like me now, it's like, yo, like, don't talk, you know? Like, yeah. Like I, I, it would never happen now. But yeah. That's who I was. So that was that was really came to mind. I could see and that. And he apologized the next day, and he said that's the worst thing he's ever done as a coach is, is say that. Really? Yeah, yeah. No, he was awesome. That's, that guy, cr- that's cool. The problem was he left after. I loved him. And he uh, he left after my sophomore year though, and that was bad. Got you. Couple more here. Uh, who's your Mount Rushmore of basketball players? Um, and then I'll save you. Because this is your favorite. Then it's not the best or whatever. This is just who you love. Your top four guys. My, so my favorite hoopers. Yeah. Uh Patrick Ewing. Yes. Horrible coach. Horrible coach. <laughs> but I grew up I grew up, I was a little kid and uh, you know, him, John Starks, not that I have much, but like it was like Patrick, my dad loved Patrick Ewing, so I'll put him there. I got some guys at Georgetown that aren't too happy with him. But anyway, <laughs> uh <laughs> Patrick Ewing. Uh, Vince Carter, Tracy McGrady, Tracy McGrady, uh, never Kobe. I was never Shaq. Oh, Shaq. 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 Dude, that's, that's a good four though. You know, growing up in our era. I had era. the Reebok Zebras. I had the whole Orlando Hell jacket. Hell yeah. Yeah. I love that. Oh, here. All right. Here's a follow-up question about Shaq. What, what's the worst version of Shaq? Like, which version of Shaq? Like, Celtic Shaq, Sun Shaq, Cleveland Shaq? Whoever, like, whoever who, who is Kevin Hart? Where was he when Kevin Hart was imitating him? Oh. <laughs> Running down I think that was Cleveland. I think he was on the Cavs, bro. That was bad. Worst Shaq ever right yeah. there. Um, yeah. All right, so what's uh, one meal you could eat every day? Whether or not it has health implications on it, you know, if it's unhealthy, so be it. Like, what's like your go-to meal that you could eat every day? Uh, I'm so uh, go-to. Like, how favorite or so like eat every day? We'll say like, all right, it's your last meal on earth. You know, it's your last meal. What you going with? Like, what what do you want? Oh, that's gonna be like some really good steak. Got you. you. Some you know, top notch. Steakhouse, good steak uh, with some all, good sides. All the different sides, yeah. all the different sides. Yeah, mac mac and cheese. I love I love wings. I love burger. I mean, I just eat, man. But like, I can go kind of dark mode if I'm trying to like adhere to a diet. I could eat ground beef with like you know some hot sauce on there, right? Out of a, a Tupperware. I do that too. Yeah, what, yeah. I got you. What's a like a guilty pleasure TV show or movie that you <laughs> that you enjoy that you that you like? Kind of a little bit maybe embarrassed to admit uh friends <laughs> oh that dude that's a great show that's i got the office that's to me that's that's standard like for me 
Like, I watched the show with my wife. It's called Vanderpump Rules. It's on Bravo, and it is, it's terrible. But I, I, yeah. if she's watching it, I'm in. Yeah. I'm in. It's about some freaking like 35 year old, you know, I don't even know what to call them. They're just like, haven't grown up yet, but they're 35 and they all work at a bar for yeah. this lady who was on like the real housewives of like some city. And it's like drama, constant drama, like grown ass people, our age still, yeah. you know, going to the clubs every night, dating within the friend circle. Like, I don't know. I just, I can't stop watching it. I don't understand why I like it. It's everything I hate in life in a TV show. And it's so good. Yeah. I can't like it. Sometimes it's hard to shut my brain off at night. So I'll put something on the phone, like next to the bed real quiet. And it's like, it needs, it, it can't be something good or I'll stay up and keep watching it. So I've got like a, I've got like a Rolodex of show. There's like probably five shows. I just rotate through and like, yeah, it'll keep playing when I fall asleep and wait, I don't care. Like I, it'll be friends, office, parks and rec. Uh, what else did I watch? New girl, you're watching New Girl on Fox. <laughs> no, Zoe, uh... I haven't, but that's a good one. <laughs> that's a good one. that's, that's, that's a what good I one. was looking for yeah. right there. That's, <laughs> that's the answer one. I was yeah. looking for. Yeah, that's you should watch that. <laughs> I would check yeah. it out, dude. I had uh, yeah. in college, I had got evicted from my my house, and uh, <laughs> you should, can you erase the whole podcast and just do this last part? Just, yeah, we should just do this. This is better. This is so much better. I got evicted from my house in college and uh, all I had was a DVD player. Catherine, my now wife, let me move in with her in the summer and uh, all I had was a DVD player and some random DVDs and one of them was <laughs> season five of Friends and I know every episode <laughs> to a T, bro. Yeah. Like every single thing that happens in that season, I watched that over yeah. and over. I had Friends, season five, at P90X, but I was missing the back and biceps workout and I had um, training day on DVD and I would just, yeah. Oh, and I love you, man. The movie with Paul Rudd and Jason Siegel. I had those yeah. and they were in circulation, bro. Like for, for three months you straight. Get for? I got I got a college. So we, uh, also, go ahead. No. So the house we moved into, I, I, so I was like on the basketball team. I lived with the captain of the hockey team, which was big at the college I went to. Yeah. And we never, we never set up cable. We never set up anything. <laughs> I had the same little DVD player. I did the same exact thing. That's crazy. Bro. Yeah. We got, a, we got evicted because we, I mean, honestly, we just, we fucking trashed his house, bro. Like yeah. we ended up getting sued for it and it, it was a bad thing, but then we had a flood. Uh, there was a bad storm. The basement flooded and then, um, so long story short, there was a padlock on the basement. He told us never go in the basement. That was his number one rule of the house. Do not take the lock off. Do not go in the basement. So we had this bad storm. The, the storm was, was bad. The basement flooded, but I didn't know because I don't go into the basement. But we later found yeah. out that it flooded so bad, certain like circuits started going out. And so the, the house was like falling apart on me. Like, certain outlets wouldn't work like certain things stopped working slowly and uh you know we didn't have a good relationship because we trashed his house because we had parties there like literally every night and uh so eventually he he kicked us out and then we come to find out the basement had standing water in it for like a month and that's why everything was going bad and that's why the house smelled like trash but yeah there's there's some some things that i could share off the podcast that, that went down yeah, yeah, too yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, man. Last one. Um, 
before I let you go, I just want to give you a chance to tell us where we can find you, where we can buy good drills. How do we get a hold of Bobby White? Like, where are you at, man? Tell us how to get a hold of you. Just at Bobby Wade on IG. We can figure it out from there. Figure it out from there. If you can't, then, uh, you know, maybe you're, it's not the right situation for you. Yeah. Go buy that elite program down the street. There's a bunch <laughs> of those. Hey, man, I appreciate, I appreciate you jumping on here. It was great to catch up with you. Um, always good to have you on the podcast, man. Thanks again. Yes, sir. And that was episode 24 with Bobby White. I hope you guys enjoyed that as much as I did. If you did, please go to whatever platform you're listening to this on, whether it be YouTube, Spotify, Apple, Google, whatever the case may be. Go ahead and leave Bobby a great review, great feedback on that. That also helps me grow the show, so I would greatly appreciate that. But it also shows Bobby how much of an impact he's making by doing shows like this. So if you're new here, Please feel free to go back into some of our other episodes. We're having great guests on weekly. If you're a returning listener, I appreciate your support so much. I appreciate you guys tuning in every week and coming back and telling friends and sharing. I cannot express how grateful I am for you guys doing that for the show and helping it grow. So again, we'll see you guys next week with another great guest in episode 25. Thank you.